This episode of Horsepower Heritage is sponsored by Model Citizen Diecast. Now, maybe you can't afford that full-size E30 M3 or that rare 71 Nissan Skyline GTR. And that's probably okay, because your garage is already chock full of other projects, and you've been turning so many wrenches, your knuckles look like they belong to a prize fighter. The last thing you need to do is muck about with another old car. And that's where Model Citizen Diecast comes in. They sell collector-grade scale model cars from manufacturers like Amalgam, Auto Art, Mini Champs, and others. They stock 143rd scale and 118th scale offerings. From streetcars to race machines, from pre-war classics to brand spanking new cars, Model Citizen Diecast has something for just about every interest and price range. Shop their online catalog at ModelCitizenDieCast.com or check out their Instagram page at Model Citizen Diecast. Model Citizen Diecast, because your inner child still wants to play with cars. Welcome to Horsepower Heritage. My name is Maurice Merrick. I'm your host. And greetings to all of you listening far and wide. Shout out to Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, Vienna, Virginia, Hamilton, Montana, Avon, Colorado, Newport Beach, California, Montreal, Canada, Mexico City, Auckland, New Zealand, Dublin, Ireland, Maidenhead, England, Lisbon, Portugal. And that's just to name a few of the places you're listening from on this big blue ball. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to tap that five-star rating and leave me a review. That will help me reach more gearheads just like you. So today my guest is photojournalist Julia LaPalm. You've probably seen her work, whether you know it or not, in a variety of car and motorcycle publications. And Julia is the real deal. She's an avid motorcyclist, and she even has her racing license. And I was thrilled to be able to sit down with her for this episode. But let me tell you, it wasn't easy. This was day one of production for this podcast. First, the studio facility opened late, and there was a time crunch. And then my production assistant had a last-minute family emergency and couldn't make it. So I was on my own. It was just me loading in the entire set and getting it all built and setting up all the equipment. And things weren't quite ready by the time Julia arrived. And I was pretty wiped out by that point. But then we finally started rolling, and everything was humming along. And then I noticed that the cable connecting my mixing board to my laptop had come unplugged. Have you ever had one of those days? Of course you have. So the audio quality in the first part of this episode is nowhere near what I'd like it to be. And I've got to apologize for that. But stick with me, because we recovered. And we had a great discussion about motorcycling, digital photography, and following your passion in spite of what others might tell you. And we also talked about some pretty heavy subjects, including a bad motorcycle crash Julia had last year, and the death of Jesse Combs, who was a personal hero to Julia. And I think all of us that are gearheads really respected Jesse and her accomplishments, and we felt the loss when she was killed. I can't believe it's already been a year. Julia is a great advocate for women in motorcycling and in photography and whatever women want to do. And I always love seeing her work. So check her out on Instagram at Julia LaPalm Photo. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my discussion with photojournalist Julia LaPalm right here on Horsepower Heritage. Let's hit it. 
Welcome to Horsepower Heritage. My name is Maurice Merrick, and today my guest is photojournalist Julia LaPalm. Julia works at this point exclusively in the automotive and motorcycle space, although she's got talent beyond there. You may have seen her work in publications such as Motor Trend, Cycle World, Automobile Magazine, pretty much everywhere. Julia, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. How would you describe motorcycling for you in terms of its its appeal, mm-hmm. how important it is to you in your life? Mm-hmm. Because I, I can only speak for myself, but you know, once you get bit with that bug, mm-hmm. you can't let go. No, exactly. Um, the easiest way I can describe it to people is moving meditation. Absolutely. Yes, um, very and, good. And it is a bit of an addiction. It feeds a little bit of a, uh, an adrenaline addiction for myself. Um, I, I do have a little bit of a thrill seeker in me, and um, motorcycling is just one avenue of that. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a moving meditation. I feel like I get some of the same mental and emotional health benefits from motorcycling as I do from, say, yoga or meditation. Um, and, you know, obviously it's a little riskier, but that's what makes it fun, too. Right. So um, that's how I try to describe it to people. Um, yeah, I think that's a great encapsulation. For me, it's a lot like surfing. Mm-hmm. When I'm on the bike, I am so focused mm-hmm. on what's going on around me, mm-hmm. how the bike is handling the road, you know, what threats are emerging in front of me, behind me, whatever. Yeah. And just the pure machinery of it, mm-hmm. that that connection, all of those things combine. And what that what happens is that my mind is is only thinking about motorcycling. Exactly. So yes, the meditation description is very good. Yeah. And motorcycling is such an intense experience. Yeah. Even even just you don't have to be going fast. Right. You don't have to be doing anything crazy. Right. Is there a type of motorcycling that you favor, like something that you, I mean, I, I have a feeling <laughs> I know what you're going to say, which is like dual sport yes. or adventure bikes. You know it. Yeah. Yes. And, I've, and in my position um, as a motorcycle journalist, I've had the opportunity to try out a little bit of everything. I have my racing license on a sport bike. Um, I've ridden cruisers, I've ridden sport touring bikes, I've ridden everything, uh, dirt bikes and dual sports and ADD bikes. And yes, you're absolutely right. The dual sport, um, maybe even scrambler or mm-hmm. ADD bikes are definitely my um, my new favorite uh, because they don't limit me. They yeah, they can let, do it all. They let Yeah, they let me do it all. And it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm under no false uh, impression that, you know, a dual sport or an EDV bike is going to perform as well carving the corners as a, as a dedicated sport bike or is going to perform as well, you know, crawling through a technical dirt trail as a nice lightweight dirt bike. But to me, a jack of all trades is good enough because I don't consider myself such an advanced rider that I need the absolute best tool for either one of those jobs. I love the um, versatility. Yeah, I love the versatility. That's exactly it. Yeah. I think we both know that motorcycles tend to multiply. Yeah. <laughs> They're so kind of like gremlins. That's so true. But uh, yes, uh, the, the dual sports are fantastic. It's amazing how that segment has exploded. Yeah. How, what, how, do you, how would you account for that? Social media, I think, has a lot to do with it, like awesome. many trends now. 
Um, but I think also, and tell me, tell me if you think I'm right, but you know, motorcycling, um, the motorcycle sales were declining in the U.S. for a long time. Sure. And that segment has really revived mm-hmm. motorcycling in America. Yeah. You, you agree? I agree. Yes, I do agree. And I think it's for similar reasons as to why it's one of my favorite um, genres is because it doesn't limit you to pavement or dirt. You can do a little bit of both. You know, I think uh, motorcycle sales declined because of our financial recession and um, so many folks within the millennial um, generation and um, Gen Z after them, Gen Y and Z after them. Um, We've run out of the alphabet. Exactly. What's, what's next? Now we have to go back to the beginning. Now it's double A. <laughs> double <laughs> right. um, so, you know, there are so many financial strains on these younger generations. Buying a new motorcycle is not really within the budget when you're drowning in student loan debt and houses are too expensive to rent and buy. Um, so a lot of times that forces people to only have one motorcycle right. <laughs> if they can have any at all. God, deprivation. Exactly. So um, I think that has um, sort of pushed people into finding a bike that can be a little bit of everything for them that can sort of scratch all of those different itches um, and not just be dedicated to one thing or another. Young people are living their lives a bit differently than our parents did or even perhaps it, it, as we do in that they're they're marrying much later if they do it all. Mm-hmm. They're putting kids aside. Yep. They are just like surrounded and immersed in technology, mm-hmm. in digital technology, all the time, they have totally disconnected from nature, mm-hmm. and so the adventure bike is a is an outlet. Yeah, it allows you to escape the confines of the city, and to get off the the beaten track, like the paved beaten track. So you can not just get away from the city, but get away from you know the more um, trafficked streets. Right, the rat race. Up, yeah, and get up into nature, and and, and nature is its own form of. of and, and, and that's why I say social media is a part of this too. Mm-hmm. Is you know, one, once people see this dramatic photography, some of which is yours, right? Um, they can't. They they have to experience that. Yeah, definitely. I've seen quite a few photos that you've posted on social media when you're on assignment and the locations. Mm-hmm. Dear Lord, <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. <laughs> favorites, um, challenging locations? Sometimes the most beautiful places are also the most challenging. Um, The desert, uh, especially when it comes to car photography, the desert provides oftentimes the the cleanest sky, which is essentially our outdoor softbox um, for for those big, you know, plates of sheet metal um, that we're trying to, to photograph. So the desert is a gorgeous place to photograph. But it's also very challenging, you know, the the weather and the temperatures and the the critters and the you know the, the plants are all sort of um, fighting for their lives and can do so a little violently at times. You know? Absolutely, <laughs> you walk away with a cactus spine in your <laughs> in your leg, or um, gotta keep an eye out for the rattlers and all that sort of thing. I would say the most exciting location I've been to it's a toss up between Australia and South Africa. Um, and they were both with um, Subaru trips, um, trips that we were doing stories on Subaru uh, vehicles. So um, one was in 2011, I believe we were doing the Outback through the Outback. 
that was for Motor Trend, and I did that story with um, Angus McKenzie, who's originally from Australia. Australia is just absolutely gorgeous, and you know, it, it saddens me right now to hear how much of it is burning, because when we were there, um, it was the it was the spring uh, right after one of the wettest winters they'd had, and the desert was in bloom. It was green, and Angus, you know, being from Australia, just kept looking right and left and saying, "I've never seen it this green. I've never seen it like this." That's fantastic. And I'd been obsessing over Australia since I was in high school. It was one of those sort of dream destinations, and for me to see it this way was just such a such a treat. It, it's an amazing country. I've I've spent some time in Australia, and um, you, you know, you were talking about the desert blooming. You know, we just had a super bloom in California, what, a year ago? Right. And uh, this is totally not related to cars and motorcycles, but <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Uh, there were wildflowers that emerged in that super bloom that they thought were extinct. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So, yeah. Amazing world, right? Yeah. Thankfully, we never really had any run-ins with any of the highly poisonous um animals that are there on that continent. I remember some quote from someone that said, Australia is the only continent that is constantly trying to kill you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the most challenging thing is that once you get up into the middle of that continent, there there's hardly any services. And there's a there's a main highway, the Stuart Highway, that connects the south coast up to the north coast, and you end up in Darwin. And um, we didn't stay on the paved highway. We sort of zigzagged across it. And thankfully we had a guide with us who is very, very familiar with the outback. And so he had all the supplies that we really needed and he had the, the knowledge of the backcountry and, and how to fix a tire if it went flat and you know, plenty of supplies for us to, to be okay. And knowing how to um, traverse those various um, trails that we were going on because we got off pavement often and in large part because of the rains that they had seen that previous winter, there were areas that were incredibly muddy. And there were some people that we saw that were out in those areas that were having a hard time and getting stuck in their vehicles in that mud. I've seen photos of that period. Yeah. And I'm talking like, a, you know, three, four, eight Toyota Land Cruisers all stuck in the mud up to their hubs. Yep. Yeah. Like, good luck. Yeah. And we were lucky that it was just dry enough and or our guide was knowledgeable enough to keep us from getting stuck. So I remember being in in um, Jervis Bay, Mm -hmm. Australia, which was an amazing place to surf and just a beautiful little towns. Um, And we're in the national park down there and lorikeets were eating out of our hands. You know, that those are moments you just you never forget yeah it's wonderful so you're a photojournalist and you're an avid motorcyclist and we've talked about you know how passionate you are about both of those but if you had to give one up which would it be (laughs) uh that's a really really tough question um i hope i am never asked to actually make that decision some days i might say photography and other days i might say motorcycling but i it's really, really hard for me to imagine giving up motorcycling. There's something about that experience that's just irreplaceable. So even though photojournalism pays the bills, yeah, <laughs> you would. 
So, so you would like I'd switch? I'd go back to school. I'd learn a different right. craft. You know, I just don't don't take my motorcycles away from me. You know what? I, that's a good answer. That's the right answer. I thought you would say that. That's what I would say. So, Julia, you and I met at Luftgekult. I think three years ago. I think it was 2017 when I was there. Okay. Yep. It was it was um, rainy morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were taking a photo of a 356, and you were what what attracted you to it was that there were puddles around the car, and there was wonderful reflections. I wonder if you enjoy going to those kind of shows where you have to. I mean, it's a challenge because you have to. Um, find you have to frame your shot and like there's always somebody getting in your shot right Um, same with uh, the quail or pebble it's like ridiculously hard yeah how do you manage that be patient Uh, the the timing will present itself there will always be a gap in the crowd and especially if you get there earlier in the day before the crowds really thicken and 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 then at some point it gets it's a lost cause but if you just I think having done so many events like that and maybe early on I would get a little more frustrated and then over time as I kept dealing with the same issue over and over it's like everybody's there because they enjoy the subject matter they enjoy the cars or the bikes that are on display and they're just they're in their own little world and they're awestruck by whatever this vehicle is sitting in front of them. And they're half of the time they're not even paying attention to the fact that they're walking into my frame. And it's just it's just a practice in patience. And most people, when they see that they're walking into my frame, they apologize and they quickly, you know, shuffle out. Or um, I've, I've actually noticed more people seeing me and waiting to cross frame, which I considered a very European attitude. Let's talk about how digital has changed the business. Sure. (laughs) I think uh, the iPhone was the first step in that direction um, in basically putting a camera in everybody's hands who bought their phone. Um, And suddenly your your phone camera was actually producing decent photos. Um, And that continued to improve with every new generation of phone that came out. Um, and I shouldn't just say iPhone, but smartphones in general, because I think uh, many people would argue that there are other phones that are actually higher quality, um, that produce higher quality imagery than, than the iPhone. And I'm not going to argue with them. So um, that was step one. And then I think Instagram was step two. Um, and then maybe simultaneously, uh, step three would have been the um digital SLRs uh, becoming more and more affordable and offering more technology at consumer prices. Um, so there was no there was no longer this paywall that uh, was keeping a lot of people from becoming professionals because they couldn't afford professional grade equipment. Um, there are plenty of people out there that are now creating some really beautiful Instagram feeds simply with their smartphone. Has Instagram changed your job? Yeah. I mean, for all the reasons that we just talked about, right? Yeah. In part, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's flooded the market with folks that are, um, that are clearly talented. They have an eye, whether they would have been able to make it 20 years ago when you had to have more of a, um, a technological 
um, knowledge base to perform as a professional photographer or not. Um, It's sort of beside the point at this point because they they clearly have a creative eye and they're figuring out ways to execute their vision, Um, whether it's with, you know, their smartphone and or through Photoshop or what have you. Honestly, your work speaks the loudest um, more than uh, anything else, I think. And I know more and more photo editors are finding um, photographers through Instagram. And so you have to have uh, a strong Instagram portfolio to catch the eye of um, clients that you want to work for. You know, it's it's um, it forces me to uh, be a little more on point as far as um, advertising my skills on almost a daily basis, having to post things more often to keep myself in in everybody's. Uh, you have to up your game. Yeah, and totally. it's good. It is good. It's it can be a real hassle, it's, right? Yes, absolutely. But, <laughs> but ultimately, it's good because it 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 makes you push yourself. And exactly, it keeps uh, it does not reward those who become complacent. Right. Yes. Well, we're going to take a break, but we will be right back with Julia LaPompe on Horsepower here. Hi, this is Maurice Merrick. How would you like to win a custom 1966 Triumph Bonneville 650? Union Motorcycle Classics is known for building meticulously crafted custom vintage motorcycles. And now they're raffling this 66 Bonneville to benefit the most vulnerable among us. All proceeds will go to Reacts Ministries in Southeast Asia. This bike is a classic British twin loaded with one-of-a-kind details, and it can be yours. Reacts strives to meet the specific needs of their children's homes and children's centers to foster and promote self-sustainability. Their goal is to provide food, shelter, and education to children who are otherwise unable to afford these basic needs. The entry deadline is October 7th, 2020 at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Go to unionmotorcycle.com to enter. That's unionmotorcycle.com. See official rules on their website. You can also visit reactsministries.org to find out more about their valuable work. Because change in the world starts with you. So, Julia, you are... A female in a male-dominated industry, there's no disputing that. Does it matter that you're female? Yes and no, and it also depends on who you ask. Um, I think it shouldn't matter, but because it's been such a male-dominated industry, um, it still sort of does matter. There are some people, some women who might not feel so welcome or might just feel intimidated because it can be such a, a boys' club. Um, and there can be sort of this specific language that men use when they talk to each other that sort of changes when, when a woman enters the environment. Um, and some men are very protective of that sort of boys club mentality. They want to be able to sort of let their hair down, so to speak, um, and be able to sort of just, you know, speak off the cuff and, and not have to edit themselves. And I think they become very protective of that sort of space um, and don't want to allow women into that space. But there are plenty of women out there who are interested in cars and who are interested in motorcycles. And um, we want to encourage that. Exactly. Well, we do. And unfortunately, there are some people that don't care about encouraging that. So yes and no, it matters um, to be a woman in a male dominated industry simply because I want to show other women that you can still embrace your femininity and still be in this industry. You don't 
have to act just like a guy to be in this industry or to to appreciate cars and motorcycles. Um, it's it's just about are you genuinely enthusiastic about the subject matter? You know, are you being true to yourself? That's really what it comes down to. Absolutely. I, and I have to mention two pioneers. One is Denise McCluggage. Mm-hmm. The second one is Jean Lindemood. Mm-hmm. Both of those women were able to not only survive, but thrive in a male dominated sphere. Mm-hmm. And at a time, Denise McCluggage, for example, in the 1950s, and then Jean in the 80s and 90s, when it was even rarer to see a woman, whether it be in a, a, a motorsport event or as a photojournalist or what have you, mm-hmm. writing for a magazine. So those two, uh, they, they've always kind of stood out for me. Was there a time when the fact that you were female was challenged and you had to maybe live up to an expectation or prove yourself or, or was it, I mean, yes, but, um, without throwing anybody under the bus, I would say almost my entire time at Motor Trend. Really? Um, I think I, I got it a little bit even early on when I was in college, my, my female marketing, uh, professor, when I told her that my plan was to focus on car photography, she looked at me and she says, oh, honey, just forget that and just do fashion. And so the next time I came to, to class, I rode my motorcycle to class and she saw me walk in with my leather jacket on and my helmet under my arm. And she's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Yeah. Thank you for stereotyping me just because I'm female. Yeah, but good for you for showing them. <laughs> you know, when someone tells you or implies you can't do that, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but it makes me want to do it more. Exactly. That's exactly it. Um, I think there were some people that definitely were threatened by the fact that I was good at what I did. And I suspect in part because I was female um, and that made them feel uncomfortable. And I, I faced that constantly, especially as a motorcyclist, um, because I took to motorcycling pretty quickly. Um, and surprisingly it just came to me very naturally and I became a very good motorcyclist very quickly, which I wasn't expecting. Um, and the person that I was in a relationship with at the time was very much threatened by that. And it caused, um, a lot of static in our relationship, unfortunately, um, fortunately for him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, it's hard for me to specifically pinpoint when people were bothered by me simply being female or bothered by my perhaps sophomoric uh, attitude walking into um, a job or an industry thinking that I knew just enough to know everything um, and maybe having a, a little bit of an arrogance that needed to also be sort of put in my place and I needed to um, take the time to climb the ladder. Um, and I so think- looking back on a younger Julia, you're saying that maybe in retrospect, you were a little bit cocky? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. And and I think it, it came from a space of knowing or at least um, assuming that people were immediately um, limiting me simply because I was female. And mm-hmm. I felt like I had to push harder to prove that I was not the inferior one in, in, in the situation, that I was... Um, that I was capable of doing what they wanted me to do or doing what they were able to do. Um, and I was just 
incredibly sensitive to the idea that that um, people's expectations of me were lower simply because I was female. And so, um, yeah, I would I would get kind of I would get a little cocky or at least kind of put on that that facade um, just to, to feel like I, I always had to prove myself. And sometimes it, it backfired, you know, because, you know, and as, as a new person stepping in and, and coming in to a situation where there are people who've been working five, 10 years, 20, 30 years previous to you and waltzing in and acting like you're entitled to as many opportunities as they are when you haven't put the time in, um, that would put anybody off. And so it was easy for me to jump to the conclusion that they were maybe being sexist, but I think they were just trying to remind me that, you know, you, you, you need to put your time in just like anybody else, regardless of gender. It's not surprising that you were compensating. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're a human being. Mm-hmm. You're going in with a certain idea of what that workplace may be like yeah. for a female. Yeah. Totally understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also good that you can look back and be self-reflective. Sure. I mean, we can't grow otherwise, right? I was just going to say that. <laughs> so let's shift gears a little bit. And I want to talk more about technical stuff again. Okay. Back to motorcycles. How about that? <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> let's talk about e-bikes because this is the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they are all over the place. I know it. It's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. <laughs> I mean, seamless acceleration. Mm-hmm effortless, amazing response. Mm-hmm. What has been your experience so far? So um, electric motorcycles, I've ridden, I think, just a couple, unfortunately. I haven't uh, had as many opportunities as I'd like to, to ride all of them. But Don't uh, worry, they'll come. Yes, <laughs> certainly hope so. <laughs> uh, but the, the latest one that I, I rode uh, was a custom build by three guys that were former employees of Alta, um, which has since shut down. And so they had a battery pack from an old Ulta motorcycle and they built a flat tracker style bike. And they run under the name now of uh, Blatant Motorcycles um, or Blatant Moto. Um, Are they here in Southern California? No, they're up in the Bay Area. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and so they brought their bike down for the OG Moto Show. And, and I was doing a photo shoot of their bike and they gave me the opportunity to ride the bike, which rarely ever happens when I'm just there to do a photo shoot or, or write a story. Um, unless it's actually like, you know, a, a first ride review, especially when it comes to custom motorcycles. I mean, this is a one-off, right? So you really have to be very careful with bikes like this. So the fact that they're like, yeah, we want you to ride it. We want you to see how it's like. Yeah. And so you have to be careful. And yet you also want to know what can this thing do absolutely because in your head you're comparing it to every other bike you've ridden yeah yeah and the torque is just it's right there instantaneous it's just instantaneous you can get yourself into a lot of trouble if you're not if you don't have those fine-tuned muscles on the right wrist you you really gotta control the throttle absolutely yeah do you think that electric bikes are gonna eclipse uh, internal combustion bikes i think eventually potentially I think it it's perfect for cities, yeah, city dwellers. I think that electric motorcycles are going to open up a new transportation segment that that may make public transportation sort of moot in a sense. I mean, if you if you go to any city, large city in Europe, mm-hmm. everybody's on either electric bicycles, sure. 
Vespas, what have you. It had, it's been like that for a long time sure. um, for personal transportation in Europe. In the U.S., we haven't embraced that yet. But I think part of that is an intimidation factor with motorcycling and an image issue. But with electric motorcycles, I think that goes away to a degree. And so more people will embrace it, particularly in the city. And, you know, you can be a nine-month motorcyclist with a bike like that in in a place like New York, Mm -hmm. D.C., Portland, Chicago. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things that keeps people from feeling fully comfortable to um, throw a leg over a motorcycle is operating the clutch. Um, you know, only 10% of cars sold today are manuals. Um, you know, most new drivers don't know how to operate a manual transmission. So, um, and you know, the, the clutch and shifting operation is, is opposite on the motorcycle. The hand is doing the clutching and the foot is doing the shifting, um, on a motorcycle. So when you switch to electric motorcycles, that clutch issue isn't a thing anymore. Um, the power is right there. You don't have to shift from one gear to the next. And that makes them so much more approachable accessible um, yeah. yeah so much more accessible i think your point on clutch and that manual aspect of a motorcycle right. is very well taken yes and it's to me it's a crying shame that only like 10 percent of the population knows how to operate a manual transmission I but agree. they're going away anyway because technology has surpassed i mean with dual clutch automatic transmissions they can they're so much more efficient. I mean, Ferrari no longer builds a manual gearbox yeah. automobile. So, and, and, and they're not the only ones. Yeah. It does make me sad too. Cause I, I prefer manual transmission, even in a car. <laughs> Save the manual. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Preach it. So you've ridden thousands of miles on motorcycles all over the world mm-hmm. only to have a pretty serious accident mm. close to home recently. Yeah. Tell us about that. <laughs> I think I'm going to get a little emotional talking about it. Um, I was, this was back in October of 2019. Um, I was coming home from Babes Ride Out, which is an all-female um, motorcycle campout over a three-day weekend. And I was traveling south on Pacific Coast Highway, um, still in Ventura County. So I hadn't quite gotten to Malibu yet. And an 18-year-old driving an F-250 was um, parked on the shoulder um, facing south as well and basically pulled out right in front of me to flip an illegal U-turn. So he was crossing the double yellow. I um, basically T-boned him at anywhere from 40 to 50 miles an hour. Um, I don't know because I wasn't staring at my speedometer when I uh, made impact with his truck, but um, the impact was so great that uh, it snapped the fork legs off of my Triumph Street Twin. I sustained a concussion. Um, Both my shoulders are a little messed up, dealing with some rotator cuff injury. Um, Left hand is still a bit tweaked. Um, I ended up with five stitches on my chin and seven stitches on my knee. But miraculously, I didn't break a single bone, which just doesn't seem possible. (laughs) No, it doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) So, yeah, Um, it was it was quite traumatic. Um, My my friend Christina was with me, thankfully, and she she witnessed the whole accident. And 
um, she said that uh, when she finally parked her bike and got off and, and approached me, I was laying on the ground and, and my eyes were open and I was babbling incoherently. And I have no memory of that. So I don't have memory of the actual impact with the truck um, up to about 20 minutes after. Um, and the next thing I do remember is uh, uh, the EMTs being, you know, surrounding me and trying to pull my helmet off and starting to cut every single piece of clothing off of me that I was wearing. It was traumatic. And it was one of those situations where there was nothing different I could have done. I, I braked as strongly as I possibly could. And thankfully, you know, that street twins got ABS. And so it didn't lock up and I didn't low side, but, but instead we just impacted the truck. <laughs> Two things come to mind, Julia. One is it's a blessing that you don't remember. Yeah. Those are, uh, you know, traumatic events like that are tough. I, I've, yeah. I've rolled four wheel drives before off road and I still get nervous yeah. on side hills. Yeah. Can't help it. Sure. I, as much as my rational mind mm-hmm. tells me I'm okay, mm-hmm. just a little bit of feeling of a side hill gives me this, yeah. my heart starts to race. Yeah, That's number one. Number two, you were able to scrub enough speed off, thankfully, that yeah. it wasn't worse. Yeah. You know, and I'll add a third thought, which is that no matter how careful we are, no matter how good we think we are on the bike, Mm -hmm. no matter how much protective gear we wear, there's always that element of the unknown that can, you know, reach out and bite you. And I I must tell you when, when I saw that you had been in this accident, my heart sank. I I thought, Oh my God, I hope she's okay. Um, I was so glad to hear that you, that you were, and, you know, you and I talked about the effects of a closed head injury and, and how subtle changes can happen. And, you know, you, you just need to be aware of um, subtle things that are just not right, like memory or depression or whatever. And, and I hope yeah. that I hope that was helpful to you. You seem to be recovering just fine. I feel like I'm recovering just fine, miraculously. I mean, I spent a full week in bed with the with the blinds drawn in, in my bedroom because um, I had such gnarly headaches and I had such uh, high light and uh, sensitivity that I just had to stay in bed with my eyes closed for yeah. a full week straight. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've 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 experienced side effects from the concussion, and I still catch myself um, with small indications of side effects from the concussion, including a little bit of um, insomnia. But uh, but yeah, all things considered, I I am I'm grateful to have essentially walked out of the ER. It's amazing. Six or eight hours later. (laughs) It it tells you a lot about the technology of motorcycles, Mm -hmm. the, the effectiveness of our protective gear now, and and also obviously the trauma system and, and how fantastic our, our medical science has progressed for trauma victims. I'm just so happy that you're, you are, basically back to normal and fully functional. And it's, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I am too. And I think it really speaks strongly to the importance of wearing the appropriate protective gear. I think there are too many riders out there who will buy a leather jacket and remove the armor because it feels too clunky or they don't like how bulky it looks on them. And I, I just, I want to be this at gat preacher, you know, all the year, all the time. Um, to just constantly preach that message that, you know, 
you know, Kevlar might save your skin, but the armor is going to help save your bones. I'm, I'm an ATGAT practitioner myself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I see other motorcyclists kind of look at me like, dude, it's like June 15th and you're wearing <laughs> full leathers. <laughs> yeah. And to me, I would rather sweat then get a skin graft. It's yep. just that simple. So. Ari, Ari Henning used to put it, I, I would rather sweat than bleed. Absolutely. <laughs> I think we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge a friend of yours mm-hmm. who was a pioneer in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we lost her last year. Yeah. And I'm talking about Jesse Combs. Yeah. For for those of you who do not know, Jesse was attempting a land speed record in the Alvord Desert mm-hmm. of Eastern Oregon, and unfortunately, her car disintegrated. You guys had, you'd clicked. We had clicked. Yes, that's very true. And, and so it wasn't like you were besties, but nevertheless, she was an important person mm-hmm. uh, to you, and 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 you guys had an affinity. Yeah. I first learned of Jessie when she first had her stint on Mythbusters. And the more I've learned about her, especially since her passing um, and writing a few stories about her, the more I realized that her career and my career were sort of paralleling each other. We, we had a similar timeline as far as our um, trajectory into our careers. Um, and um, I loved what she represented. I loved what I love what she represents. Um, and she has become, uh, so important to so many women, um, in the motorcycling world and the car world, um, in the welding world and in the off-roading world, um, all the spaces that she excelled. Um, and she, she could do it all. She, yeah, she seemed to be, be able to do it all. She, you know, anything she, um, tackled, she seemed to excel at. And, um, I, tend to be hesitant to um to approach people that I kind of put on a celebrity pedestal and I and I felt like it was appropriate to put her up on that pedestal so um I first met her at the handbuilt show I'm gonna say in 2016 um in Austin Texas so that's a um a custom motorcycle show that happens during the same weekend as the MotoGP race that happens at um Circuit of the Americas in Austin and um to uh Jesse and her um, her friend and partner Teresa Contreras had built this uh, BMW together. They'd customized this BMW together for the show, and so that was the first time that I introduced myself to Jesse because I wanted to take some photos of her with her bike. I wanted to interview her about the bike, and of course, I was incredibly nervous because she was sort of this celebrity, and um, and I felt like nobody in comparison. And it was amazing how. Um, how comfortable she seemed to talk to me and how comfortable she seemed to want to make me. Um, well, you guys but, spoke the same language after I, all. Yeah, I felt like know? we spoke the same language. And once we sort of got off the topic of the bike that she had built, she amazingly just kind of opened up and started kind of chatting about stuff that was sort of outside of this bike and her work. And, and I was, um, a bit taken aback at how, um, quickly she felt so familiar to me. You couldn't help but like her. Yeah. So it was very sad to lose her this way. I think there were amazing things yet to come for her. And Julia, you had to essentially write 
an obituary for Jesse, I imagine that was pretty difficult. It was pretty difficult. I think the um, the friends of mine who are also journalists who had asked me to write the story um, were asking me to put a personal spin on it. And I honestly feel like I couldn't put my own personal imprint on it necessarily because I felt like I wasn't as close to her as so many other people that I know were close to her. Um so it's probably a little easier for me to talk about it now with a little bit more time to um, to process it and to you know to go through the grieving process. Um, but she was she was a hero of sorts. Um, she uh, she was determined to prove um, that women have the right to be in the automotive industry, to be taken seriously as racers and as fabricators and as welders and as off-road drivers. And um, she was um, inspirational in so many ways. I really just admired her and appreciate what she was doing for so many of us women, giving us such a a wonderful example of um, not allowing anybody to limit us. Um, and um, Amen. Just, it's basically telling us that you, you put your mind to it and you can accomplish anything, right? Absolutely. You know, and this is the thing inherent in being a risk taker and a pioneer of sorts is, you know, mm-hmm. the risk is real. It is. And she knew that and accepted it. And um, like I said, I, I, I think there were, fantastic things ahead for Jesse Combs, but um, thank God we had her as long as we did. I know. I think we are all better for that. And um, I think there are some uh, organizations that are continuing on in her name um, afterwards that are inspired by her work. She created the Real Deal Revolution with Teresa Contreras, which is essentially um, dedicated to uh, providing workshops for women specifically. Um for welding and painting and leather work, um, all things that are essential to fabricating custom motorcycles and um, fabricating uh, custom cars or working on cars. Um, and um, and then there's the Jesse Combs Foundation as well. I will forever be grateful that I got to know her even for the small amount that I did get to know her, but she was always genuine, uh, warm, down-to-earth, approachable, and um, and I think I grieve the opportunity to not have been able to uh, make a deeper connection with her as a friend, because I think there was, there was the possibility of that, for sure. Anything on the horizon we would be interested in? I'm working on a feature about uh, Atwild, which is a women-owned company built, um, that has designed and created uh, women's motorcycling gear. Um, and, uh, alongside that, I'm also working on a story about Stellar Motor Brand, um, which is doing something very similar, um, also creating, um, motorcycle gear specifically for women. I think women are unfortunately, um, underserved in the motorcycle, uh, apparel, um, the motorcycle protective gear, um, segment. Um, because so it just doesn't fit right. It doesn't fit right. And unfortunately, uh, I, as I've gotten to know more and more people in the industry, uh, people who work on the side of the apparel brands, um, I also understand that there is, um, there's an extra challenge 
creating apparel for women because we are such we're such curvaceous creatures. <laughs> right. And so you can't just cut straight lines and just change the waist size and the and the inseam length and be done with it. Um, it's there are we have so many different measurements and um, it almost has to be a custom fit almost yes yeah um and so i think it's um it's difficult it can be very challenging for certain people who don't especially for people who don't fit into sort of the stereotypical size and shape of right. women um the the, the, the department the, store sizing methods right yeah right. so anybody who is plus sized anybody who is petite right you know finding something that is uh that fits properly, that, 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 that is, um, flattering, but is also properly protective in sure. the right places, um, is very difficult to find. And I think, um, both of these companies are doing some really great things at making, um, making protective gear sexy, but also making it, um, protective and, um, continuing to, um, sort of drive to the point home of how important um, protection is for for those women who ride because um, I'm excited that that more and more women are taking up motorcycling and so um, my goal is to continue chasing after the stories that illustrate that you know so at wild is one stellar moto brand is another um, the women uh, women riders world relay that that was a world a, a relay that happened all around the world that touched in, you know, over a hundred countries and had, you know, approximately 3,500 women riders participate. They're about to have their uh, finale party back in London where it started wow. this coming weekend. Exciting. So, um, so yeah, there are so many people, so many women doing so many wonderful things that are um, helping celebrate women, helping bring more attention to women in that industry. Um, you're you're deep in it, and yeah. I'm so glad to have had you on. Where can people find you? Oh, so many places. Um, the most active is probably on Instagram. My handle is my name, Julia Lapalme, L-A-P-A-L-M-E. Uh, I've I've started a separate account strictly for my photography, so I can just treat that purely as a photo portfolio. So that's Julia Lapalme Photo, also on Instagram. My website is www.julialapalme.com. Um, and uh, yeah, you can probably find me in any one of those places. Those are all easy. <laughs> Julia, thank you for being here on Horsepower Heritage and uh, keep riding safe. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Horsepower Heritage. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, click that five-star rating and leave me a review. All of those things will help me reach more gearheads like you. Until next time, I'm Maurice Merrick. Thanks for listening.